Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 84 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what normally matters on this show is golf. But today, we're going to chat about something just a little more important, the role of the game in the murky world of international politics. In March this year, the European Tour announced that they would be playing a new, yet-to-be-named tournament on the 2019 schedule, and that that event would be held in Saudi Arabia. It attracted little attention at the time, but since the controversial disappearance and suspected murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, that has all changed. We'll be joined shortly by Arthur McMillan, Chief Diplomatic Correspondent of The National, for his take on the decision by the European Tour to head to Saudi Arabia. But before me, before that, my apologies, let me bring in my co-hosts from the left coast of the US, but I think safely out of the way of those horrific bushfires we've been seeing in recent days. It's blogger, architect, commentator and author Jeff Shackleford. Jeff, some pretty big issues to consider today with Arthur, and I assume you are well away from those horrible fires we've been seeing on our TVs. Uh, far enough away, but it's still uh, very sad to see what's going on here, and uh, obviously very sad to see a, a lot of things going on in the world. So I, it's, I'm glad we're tackling what is uh, a very complicated subject, I think, or maybe it's not that complicated. I'm looking forward to hearing what Arthur has to say. So um, I feel like we're going out of our pay grade here, Jeff, so I'm glad Arthur's along for the ride yes, to help exactly. us untangle some pretty complicated <laughs> stuff. From here in Australia, a man rapidly developing a reputation as the golf podcast king. This is already his third this week, and it's only Thursday. Architect, columnist, former touring pro Mike Clayton. Clates, whoever described you as the Kim Kardashian of golf podcasts, seems to have been on the money. You've never been so popular. Why are people so interested in what you've got to say? Uh, I've no idea. I think you're, uh, charge, no, you're charging the right price, I suspect, for your appearances. Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> we, we, but we had a good one at Bonnie Dean the other day, which is a of course, it's coming along nicely when we're designing just out of Sydney. Well, just inside Sydney, so. Yep, right next door to where it was a bit of fun. the Australian. It was indeed a bit of fun, and thank you again for doing that and at the right price. Uh, joining us from New York to help untangle the who, what, where, how, and why of the European Tour's decision to take golf to Saudi Arabia, Scottish-born but now New York-based journalist Arthur McMillan. Arthur's worked in just about every corner of the globe, but his area of specialty is the Middle East. He's not only a journalist, but also has a law degree, which I believe, Arthur, puts you behind used car salesman twice in the public's perception of trustworthy professions. Congratulations on that and welcome. Really looking forward to getting your input today. Thank you. Uh, Arthur, let me, let's come to you first. Before we talk about the European Tour's decision to play in Saudi Arabia, for those of us who don't keep up with international politics and incidents around the world as much as we should, and I put my hand up, tell us a little bit about, well, firstly, how we pronounce the name Jamal Khashoggi. I've heard a couple of different ones in the last few days. And then a quick thumbnail sketch of what happened there, Why this is, what this controversy is all about. Sure. Well, Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi, as I do understand it's pronounced Khashoggi, he was a Saudi Arabian journalist who was resident um, in the United States, just outside Washington, D.C. in Virginia. He, has, he was previously very well um, ensconced in the administration, or at least one of the factions of the Saudi Arabian, sorry, Saudi Arabian uh, kingdom. But in the last couple of years, he, he chose to leave Saudi Arabia and he became a contributing writer for the Washington Post. And he wrote some critical pieces about how Saudi Arabia was being ruled under, well, de facto ruled under the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, um, whose father, the king, remains the, uh, the de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia. And to cut a long story 
be short. Um, he was about to be remarried uh, to a Turkish woman. And in order to do, do so, he had gone to the, Tur sorry, the Saudi Arabian embassy in Istanbul, I believe. It was Istanbul or Ankara. I can't remember which one, but certainly in Turkey. And he never emerged. And it's now not disputed anymore. He was murdered inside that embassy. Uh, the only question is who ordered it and why? I think most people have made up their minds about why it was because he, basically there were people in Saudi Arabia who wished him to be silenced. He obviously is silenced. There is still no body, but the man is dead and it has obviously caused an incredible diplomatic rupture across not only the United States, but also the wider world because there is obviously widespread revulsion about the fact that a man who was a journalist could be murdered inside an embassy. Hmm. I mean, state-sponsored killing is not a new thing, and there's probably not too many states around the world that haven't in some way done it, but that's extraordinarily bold, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I think that's the thing that um, has alarmed so many people. The story, to begin with, to begin with, it was denied. You know, it was claimed that he had left the the uh, consulate. That story then began to unravel. He didn't leave the consulate. It was then claimed that, you know, it was an accident. Later, it was not an accident. And then finally, there was an admission he had been murdered right. very quickly after he went into that consulate. Mm. So those facts are not in dispute. Okay. Uh, it's just a matter of accountability and I think uh, I'd be very surprised if we ever get true accountability on it, because obviously there are a lot of players involved and certain states have a lot at play in, yeah. in um, diplomatic relations involved. Indeed, like a stone in a pond, the concentric circles just keep going out and out and out, don't they? And I suppose one of those, Arthur, is what we wanted to talk to you about. Now, the European Tour confirmed again just last week, quite staunchly, that the event that they announced earlier this year to be played in Saudi Arabia will go ahead. Just quickly, the role of sport and uh, relations with Saudi Arabia, which has been known as a... Uh, people have been careful about relations with Saudi Arabia for a long time, haven't they? Uh, other nations and, and at a diplomatic level. What was your take on the European Tour's decision to go to Saudi Arabia and actually play a tournament? Well, I think... Um, I think there's two factors involved here. In, in the broad diplomatic relations, countries that have had particularly strong relations with Saudi Arabia are notably Britain, where the European tour is based, as, as I still understand it, mm -hmm. and, the United, and the United States. I mean, the, and it has largely been a uh, defence for cash deal, you know, weapons, planes, everything like that. These relations are, are very old. There has always been uh, a relationship in the last, you know, ever since post-World War II almost. Uh, but um, there have been fractures over the years, you know, on arms sales, you know, defence contracts and various things. But broadly, Britain and the United States in particular have very strong relations with Saudi Arabia, as does France and some other and most other European countries, because uh, they are seen as allies. However, in terms of the European tour, I think, I mean, when I think back to the, the, the European tour, I remember the Dubai Desert Classic being one of the first tournaments where the European tour branched out into the, the Middle East and then there, you know, things expanded and then it went to Qatar and, and various other states. And I think the European tour sees Saudi Arabia probably entirely legitimately as a potential cash cow for the next 
number of years. You know, they're looking for new venues. They're looking for big prize funds. And Saudi Arabia is awash with money. And they want to put out, to project a more inclusive international image and attracting sporting events is part of that, just as we've seen in Abu Dhabi or Dubai in recent years. You know, they get good fields because they pay top appearance fees and probably following, uh, albeit at a slower pace, probably following the US tour um, under uh, Tim Fincham, I think it was, who he's, he's now no longer with us, isn't he? he no, he's ja- passed on. Jay Monaghan. Yeah. Hasn't yeah. passed on, Arthur. <laughs> he's just no longer the commissioner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, retired. Yeah. <laughs> That's retired right, yes. is, is a polite way of putting it. Yeah, yeah I don't want to wipe him off the map no. entirely. But but I think um, the American, t- the, the US tour obviously grew into such a cash beast that the European tour sees no other way than to keep expanding the prize funds. We've even seen it with McElroy's, you know, what McElroy said in the last day or so about him probably going to only put down two European events next year. You know, that's bad news for the European tour. So I think the European tour we saw with the Rolex series, I think they're now just doing what they think is the best in the best commercial interests of the tour and the players to keep going, frankly. Mm. And I see Saudi, and I think Saudi Arabia is just the latest, uh, the latest country on their list. Yeah, Jeff Shackelford, loads of money in Saudi Arabia, Arabia. Obviously, you can see the appeal from that angle for the European tour is the potential image damage that might come. Uh, it's kind of backfired on them in a way, hasn't it? I mean, when they signed in March, there were a few rumblings about, you know, is that a great idea? Dustin Johnson and Patrick Reed both signed up to play the event. People sort of, I think that probably gave it a bit of credibility. What happened with uh, Jamal Khashoggi has obviously put a different slant on it. What's your take on the European Tour's decision to go to Saudi Arabia, Jeff? They're, they're in a bit of trouble, well, the Euro I, Tour, aren't they? I, they are, but I'm assuming they're... Uh, banking on our uh, short attention span world, and that the, that they also are watching what some of the uh, the tennis players are doing and what other sports are doing. And it seems to me it's one of those once one of them uh, makes a move and and says no to this, we could see a domino effect. But because they're generally about the bottom line, they're they're waiting as long as they can, and and uh, they're really not taking that much heat at the moment for it other than a few columns here and there which is uh now this week obviously being in that area and, and the commissioner or the chief executive being available to the press may may change that um so far i haven't seen anything today that uh suggests that he, he was uh put before any press people and he'll probably be hiding uh, most of the week because this is um yeah, this is a very difficult uh situation i think it's a simple one i think they should just uh cancel the event but um that things are uh, very tenuous right now with with tournaments and playing opportunities and and big purses yeah he, he was grilled lightly uh last week or the week before yeah uh, in a small room he was adamant jeff adamant no problem we're going to saudi arabia well monitoring which is code for uh <laughs> which is code for we we could go another way if if this whole thing uh, starts to to unravel, yeah. and um, and I think it I think it will. I do too, uh, because it's a, we're talking about a journalist. This is not going to go away. It's no. a horrible story. The the prince is a, a dreadful person, and um, and he and he has his fingerprints on this. I, I saved the web page with the press release and how he came to London to yeah. to personally sign mm-hmm. off on this. And uh, you can't claim that he's he's uh, 
unaware of this event. It's just one of many sporting events that they've they've signed up. He's he's all over this, oh, and um, I'm sure that page will disappear uh, soon uh, if they decide that. Uh, I mean, I, I, Arthur, is that your sense that that this is something where other they're all all these different sporting uh, figures are sort of looking at one another to decide how they proceed. Yeah, I think I think I think you're spot on when you say that uh, our um, European tour people uh, use the word monitoring because I think that is the classic nuance uh, way of getting out of this if we have to at a later date. Um, I think I think it's like anything. Uh, it's like it's a domino effect. If the news is going to continue on this story, this story is not gone. You know, this story is just going to keep going. And there'll be a drip, drip effect, and public image is everything. So if if it's not looking right, I think you're right. I think they'll pull the tournament. Mm. And the problem is, we saw with Tiger's uh, position on this last week. It's not as if it's a done deal. You know, there will be there'll be some players who just think, or their managers sure. will think, maybe this isn't the right move for for my player. Mm. You know, maybe I, I won't go there. You know, uh, it, that's just reality. Uh, they're, they're so obsessed with image and being in the right place, not the wrong place. So I think there's a lot of time and a lot of space for this to change. I think they're going to put a brave face on it because they don't want to in any way uh, undermine the commercial viability of the product before the tournament. But if it's just not working for them in a month's time, two months' time, even three months' time, you know, They'll pull the plug, I think. Yeah, indeed. Clay, from a player's perspective, you played uh, on the tour in Europe for many, many, many years. Do players, you're probably a bit different, but do players generally give any thought to where it is they're going to play or is it simply there's the golf tournament, there's a prize purse, that's where you go and play because that's what you do for a job? Mostly. I see Eddie Pepperell's not going, which is not surprising, given his uh, political bent, which is good. Um, Lots of players went to South Africa. You know, and you look back now and you think, why did anyone do that? I mean, that was a horrifying place to go in the in terms of the way they treated the majority of their population. Mm. So, but, but everyone went down there and played. And, well, not everyone, but lots of people went down there. And, and they clearly were buying sports in, in an attempt to justify the rightness of their regime. And mm. I mean, to play devil's advocate, where, where do you stop? If you, you don't go there, where do you stop? Well, this is the, that's the big question, China, isn't it? You, you the know, sport and politics question, right, isn't yeah. it? Um, and I suppose that, that on the surface, what it looks like they're trying to do, Arthur, and it seems likely, what it, is, is Saudi Arabia is trying to buy political legitimacy by purchasing sporting events. Is it that simple? Yeah, I think um, I think it's part of a broader uh, outreach, or at least on paper, it's part of a broader outreach. Obviously, uh, the murder of a journalist isn't so much a setback as perhaps a, a an extremely uh, obvious sign that this is just something that's on paper. So I think it was part of their strategy, probably will remain so, but they may be looking at a longer game plan rather than just, you know, this is what we're going to do, it's going to happen immediately because politics uh, tends to have a habit of getting in the way of sport <laughs> in many parts of the world. Indeed. So I think um, I think there's a level of anxiety undoubtedly about this. But just as you've said before, you know, 
money tends to talk on the tour and if there's any way they can pull this off i think i think they will push on with it on the flip side there are you know the united arab emirates has has shown you know over a period of years that you know you can produce a very good golf tournament and uh, you can get a very good field it fit, it's fitted in very well on the schedule in past years because you know players want to get uh, you know their season off to a strong start and even like a couple of years ago, Sergio, you know, won in Dubai and then won at the Masters, you know. So it's definitely been part of their um, of part of their schedule. But even that's now slightly changed because the way the two tours are changing their dates next year. So I think I think um, I think it's fluid at the moment for the European Tour. They're looking for new events. They've obviously gone for this one. They want it to happen, and it's a matter of whether they can now see it through. Mm. Would it be? Would it be fair to say, Arthur, that Dubai created that tournament in an attempt to attract tourists to go to Dubai to play golf? And whereas, is that subtly different from Saudi Arabia, which doesn't look to me like it's the world's greatest tourist attraction? Yeah, I think I think I think we're I think there's a there's a broad parallel there, but I think um, Dubai in particular has has managed over a fairly long time now you know we're into probably a second decade of it if not a little bit longer um of attracting tourists tourists because obviously they, they have the climate they do very cheap deals for tourists you know uh i saw it myself when i lived in uh, abu dhabi uh there is very good golf all year round um apart from the summer actually in the <laughs> european uh, summer yeah. when you just you basically just melt um so i think I would be surprised if Saudi Arabia in the next three or four years could achieve what the United Arab Emirates have. But they've obviously decided this is part of a package of, of sporting events and they're giving it a go. We'll see if it works or not. Obviously, Saudi Arabia is under the lens because of this incident at the moment, Arthur. Um, we don't seem to have the same scrutiny of Qatar and the UAE and Dubai, should we? Uh, those places that European Tour is already established, as you said, you know, they've spent the last best part of the last 20 or more years establishing themselves as legitimate tourist destinations, are they? Are we overlooking things that happen in those parts of the world because it kind of suits us? Well, it's kind of like if you, if you take the approach of the Brit abroad, for example, um, you know, you can't. It, it's like anywhere. You can't go to a foreign country and like think that your laws apply. Their laws apply. You know, and any time you read about a Brit or a European or someone else getting into trouble in the UAE or or Qatar or, or whatever it is, it's usually because they've done something pretty daft, uh, like being drunk in public or something like that. Usually, pretty low grade stuff would be low-grade stuff back in their country. But that kind of thing is a, an act of, could be considered like a, an act of public disobedience, you know, in the United Arab Emirates. Because, for example, in the, in the UAE, um, the, the law there is very strict, but there are places where you can go and drink, for example. You know, there are bars, you know, they're totally licensed. This is kind of like part of the deal, you know, with expats. Yes, you can come here, but you better behave. You know, there's a there's a very quite clear demarcation on that kind of stuff, and it goes very very well 99.9% of the time. Mm -hmm. That's an issue, for example, with Saudi Arabia 
that would not be the case because there is no drinking of alcohol in public there, for example, at places. So that would be something the European Tour will have to receive assurances about and they will have to have a very clear operating environment for the players and everyone else involved mm -hmm. because that's the kind of detail uh, I think if um, Keith Pelley was to be asked about, you know, he would probably be very vague on. So I think maybe as the as the weeks and months go on, um, some of the uh, golfing press should be starting to ask Mr. Pelly that kind of detail rather than just, yeah, everything's fine. Mm, indeed. Shaq, more broadly, the European Tour, I suppose, we've come to look upon it as a bit of the world tour. The PGA Tour doesn't have these problems, do they? We, we criticise them for not uh, being more sort of global and, and branching out from the US, but when you look at where you can go in the world and the sorts of things that can go wrong, it's probably understandable in a way, isn't it? What what do you mean? What's understandable that they that they haven't run into these things? I well, mean, that they, 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 they maintain they, run, they stay pretty much yeah. in the U.S. They don't venture out very often. Yeah, it it, uh, it has helped them. Although Tim Fincham had a a very strong pursuit of all things China and golf, and mm -hmm. looked past uh, all sorts of things in that pursuit, and uh, and now look at that that mess. Um, so uh, they uh, they have not run into anything quite like this. But they certainly have pursued uh, dollars in places that you you do wonder about, and and they've um, uh, signed up with some questionable people at times, but nothing nothing on this level. No. Um, I'm I'm curious, Arthur, if if the uh, if if this unravels for the uh, um, uh, the prince and and this should we still be uh, Larry of of golf events and sporting events and, and and going there and embracing this culture because it's not just this assassination they they, they, they aren't exactly um wonderful uh people in terms of <laughs> many other fronts executing i mean how many people have they executed this year and and they're beheading it's 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 in the i think in the low 50s or high 40s it's quite a quite a place <laughs> Yeah, again, I think those are great. I, I think those would be great questions for uh, Keith Pelley to answer, yeah. uh, because he's obviously the guardian of the European Tour, and I think you're right. I mean, many years ago, if we look back, uh, the tours made decisions to go to China. You know, they're they're a world leader in uh, the number of executions a year. You know, mm. so they decided to look past that one because they obviously saw the dollars, like you say. Um, I don't think anyone's really in any mood to roll back on those events. So you could argue this is just the necessary, uh, uh, what's the word, a turbulence en route to an otherwise safe flight uh, and another tournament added to the schedule. But I think that was the plan a year ago. I think now it's had a complication and we will see in the next few months whether they're willing to go through with this. I think that's just the, the natural order of things. Mm. The European Tour is essentially a big company operating internationally, Arthur. How have other big companies from other industries dealt with, uh, for want of a better term, quote-unquote, the problem of Saudi Arabia and doing business there? Is the European Tour doing anything unusual here in terms of what brands and companies generally do? Well, I don't know. I've, n I've never been to Saudi Arabia, so I can't speak of it from personal experience. But I do know that the way that business normally works there with outside companies is that you have to partner with a local 
company, mm -hmm. a local operator. So I don't know if that's how the European tour is, is going to operate there. I, am, I would imagine for such a specialised event, that may not be the way they operate, but that generally for business is how it works. Mm -hmm. For example, oil companies that work there, they tend to have local partners. And this is this is custom. This is this is this is always applied. So it, it tends to be uh, a relationship of expertise uh, from the outside to achieve a common goal, uh, and that that has worked. Um, I would I would say I don't think anyone can really doubt it. That has worked successfully, you know, over time, and. What the European tour setup is, again, I don't know, but they tend to do things that way. They would have a, they would have a local uh, partner, you know, helping them with, I imagine, logistics and various other things because they, these companies exist. You know, there are Western logistics companies in all the Gulf countries yeah. uh, who, who help with all that kind of organization. I mean, I expect that's how it's going to operate. But I suppose the nuts and bolts of a golf tournament are a golf course you know, uh, an airport uh, and uh, a lot of people doing the other stuff that has to happen. Yeah, indeed. I, I suppose it's a basic question. Jeff Shackleford, do we know who courted who in this relationship? I assume that the Saudi Arabian, the Saudi Arabia went to the European tour and said we'd like to host. I can't imagine it was the other way around, but I don't know the answer to that question. Do you, by chance? I don't. No, no. I do not. No, you'd assume uh. that. Clayton, I want to come to you quickly. Um, one of the things that strikes me about this, once news like this breaks... As I said, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, and I think Paul Casey were all announced as confirmed starters for the event. Players must think about their own security at some point, Clates, or do they generally just leave it to the tour and assume that security is an issue they won't have to worry about? Uh, I would think they would leave it to the tour. Although I do remember Kelvin Pete not pulling out of the Scandinavian Open after Chernobyl, which was an interesting move. Wow. Um, <laughs> I thought the radioactivity might have drifted all the way across to Stockholm. I um, know. <laughs> uh, I assume that, that that they would just assume the tour would have it all under control and have the security in place. And yeah, um, uh, and you would think it would be a pretty safe place to go. I would have thought it would be. I mean, Arthur would know better than me. But I, I played in Dubai once, and seemed like it was the safest place in the world to me. Mm -hmm. Just if you're not a journalist who's writing critical things about the regime. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, totally. I mean. Again, it's it's completely safe environment, you know. Apart, I mean, it, I mean, I I lived in the Gulf, and it's a completely safe environment as 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 long as you do everything fairly normally. I mean, like anywhere else, you know, if if you went looking for trouble, you'd probably find it. Yeah. But as long as you're, you know, streetwise generally, and and I mean, it's actually more secure than normal. You know, for example, I have lived in Iran, and people think oh what's it like there oh it must be must be must be very uh dangerous it's the safest place i have ever lived in my life wow people were friend people were friendly you walk around in complete security because there's police and there's sec security everywhere fair enough in my case some of the security were probably keeping an eye on me uh, <laughs> you had but, your own personal <laughs> bodyguard yeah, yes. yeah exactly yeah probably to to a higher degree than i would like to have imagined um so, 
security, I don't think is uh, is 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 a factor at all. I think you're you're probably going to be a lot safer there than you would in most places. Mm. It's more a question of. Um, I think uh, image and perception that uh, is where a lot of the uh, players and um, uh, managements will be making some of their calculations. And uh, as we've discussed already, calculations tend to come pretty close to the front of uh, the priority list for the players these days. Indeed. What you've outlined there is a little bit of stereotyping, which we're all guilty of, Arthur. You know, we have pictures painted of us in the Western world of how other places work, which aren't always correct. One of the things we all think about, say, Saudi Arabia, I imagine, or the message we often get is that it's a, a regime that's oppressive of women. It's a small issue, but do you think most of the golfers, should the tournament go ahead, will take partners and wives? And are those sorts of pressures perhaps sometimes brought to bear? Well, just... Speaking personally on that one, I'd be amazed if they brought their partners. Yeah. Um, just because I think it's as a, just going back to something I said at the start of the the conversation. I think when you go to foreign countries, you have to be aware of what the local laws are. You know, you're not going to change them. You know, you've just got to be realistic. You know, if you if you have to, if you're going in with saying, "Oh, they should do it this way," you know, that's extremely naive and uh, probably going to be a recipe for disaster. So I'd be amazed if the players took their partners there. Obviously, there'll be some kind of, well, I say obviously, maybe not. They may have some kind of like method or formulation for doing that, but I would be surprised. I think it'll be a case of uh, keep it simple, take the players, because it's a fact in, in the Arab world, the, uh, the male it remains dominant and um, it's a case that for example in Saudi Arabia there has there has been progress in, in recent times because women are driving now mm -hmm. that's obviously something that wasn't the case for a long time um, however I don't know how, how other matters operate between the sexes so I think it's a case of the European tour they might not write it down but they would probably send signals that uh, best uh, you just come on your own on this one. Yeah, indeed. And what it, many of the wives might, maybe <laughs> might not be interested in going. Jeff Shack, I want to get Arthur's thoughts about this uh, after you, but what about that broader question that, that Clates raised earlier? And it is a murky one, isn't it? The role of where sport and politics yeah. cross over. Can sport actually be a positive? Are we simply by sort of thinking that maybe the European tour shouldn't go to Saudi Arabia, do we make the distance between our the, our culture and their culture, to put it in far too black and white terms, do we make that golf worse? Should sport not be part of what helps us to cross over so that we can learn about them and they can learn about us? Well, sure, uh, unless it's learning about uh, a regime that, that that's dreadful, then it, then it's wonderful in the, in the reverse sense of uh, somebody like, Tiger Woods passing on the event or Roger Federer uh, making a statement about it and, and not wanting to go play tennis there. And, and so it can work both ways. But um, I, I don't like seeing athletes put in that position, but sometimes uh, they are. And, and it's wonderful when they uh, take a principled stance. I just don't know how many of the golfers have an interest in that or, or really are even aware of what's going on over there. I mean, I, I'd be curious what Clates thinks, but um, I mean, Paul Casey's probably the one name that stands out of the people mm -hmm. who've, who've committed to the event that, that uh, I know um, is somebody who actually reads and is actually aware of what's going on in the world and, and considers these things and takes them very seriously. Uh, so I would imagine he's very much on the fence. I don't, I don't see uh, 
Dustin Johnson taking a strong stance on on the uh, on the murder or or human rights violations in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, Clayes, what do you what do you think of uh, today's golfers? Do you think they've they have any uh, many of them have any idea what's going on over there? Well, clearly Eddie Pepperell does. Well, he, well, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, you would assume that they don't have. That, uh, I mean, it's a it's a pretty rash generalization to say that Americans tend not to be aware of too much outside of their own country. On the, I mean, certainly golfers in the PJ Tour, you wonder how much they're reading about Saudi Arabia or South Africa or China or Turkey or. And Turkey's the other thing. I mean, the European tour is playing in Turkey, who don't exactly have a stellar record of treating journalists well. No, no. So, you know, they're playing there and no one's saying anything. So, yeah, look, uh, my question for Arthur would be, or for everybody, uh, at what point does the European tour take the Ryder Cup to the Middle East? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that one's going to happen. No, uh, I, I, just, you don't I, think I so? just don't think that. They've no, out definitely. there before. Yeah. Yeah, I think they probably threw it out there and waited for some billionaire to come back and say, yeah, I'll yeah. give you this number of million. Uh, because, I mean, I think France spent uh, somewhere in the 40s or something in terms of million to get the Ryder Cup. That's that's chicken feed to some of the Gulf yeah. states, for example. So I think that may well have been another one. Uh, throw it out there and see if anyone bites. But in, ter- in terms of the players and politics, I think as a journalist... It's one of my disappointments in that um, players, particularly, in, and I have to say in the United States, they are so grey in their outlook and so absolutely uh, insulated from any kind of political comment. I mean, we've seen it since the election of Trump. You know, this guy who obviously made incredibly disparaging remarks on almost every topic you could imagine, women, race, uh, just people, the way he speaks to people. And yet this guy obviously had the Doral tournament. I mean, I think that, that tournament's actually, is it off the roster now? I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. Correct. But, yeah, to a left around. Yeah, but, for, but look, at, look at the impact. He, it, it, you know, the fact that he owns Turnbury now. You know, I played Turnbury twice, and it is the greatest golf course I have ever ever played it's nine holes now along the links it's mm. amazing it, it blows fantastic. you away yeah. it's an amazing golf course and yet the open will not go there because of one right. factor and that's not the golf course you know and and the players for example uh ricky fowler went down to turnbury before the last open at trun and he played there and you know he, he said to i mean i know i know some people down there because i'm from ayrshire originally and um you know it, it's an amazing golf course but you know, it's just the elephant in the room. The players would never want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about Trump being elected because the tour is largely Republican in, mm-hmm. uh, by tradition and they don't want to say anything. It might lose them a few bucks. Yeah. You know, so I don't think I don't think we're in new territory in players not really wanting to be involved in politics. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the biggest country in the world right now uh, run by a president who's got an enormous interest in golf. And yet, you won't see the players talking about the United States political outlook. No, you talking- well, the only one who the only one who put her head up was was Salas. Salas to yeah. her eternal credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A slap at Trump yeah. after the election when when not one single male player. Well, they're all getting their taxes cut, so they're all happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's not. I don't think it's because we we want this to be part of the discussion, but I think. Uh, 
there's nothing annoys a journalist more is that if they ask a, if they ask a, you know, an interviewee, whether that's a golfer or someone else, that you just get a completely fake answer. Uh, I mean, I've just covered I've just covered the U.S. Uh, midterms midterm elections here. I was in Arizona again, another golfing state, and I did things the way a reporter should do. I went to the headquarters of both parties and I was treated like a bad smell. Yeah. You know, that's how the media is, is treated now. If you actually try and be a journalist and you go to these people, because I'm afraid what's happened. Uh, sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a rant no. here. No, but, that's what but, we're here for. But, it, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're accused of, you know, there is obviously a president who talks about fake news uh, and you go to a place you go to try and speak to people, the leaders of a political movement, they treat you with disdain, they don't answer your emails, they don't give you any access, and they then complain when you write your story, oh, you didn't come to us. Well, that's just that's just fake. You know, yeah. so I, I, I don't have much time for players who, who dodge this question, um, uh, but I will not be expecting anyone in the European tour or the US tour to... Uh, ask players to be a little bit more honest in their answers because as far as I'm concerned, players are more or less news-free zones. Mm. Well, we've, we've, that, what you're speaking of, uh, I've seen in the last uh, two years begin to happen with players mm -hmm. uh, and their attitude towards golf media, asking yeah. about things like, uh, why did you hit five iron uh, off the tee and and you know them giving looking at the agent the air, agent staring at you and um, really not wanting to cooperate with with press uh, 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 not wanting to share anything thinking uh, everybody's out to get you and yeah I I, uh, I I had one player ask me for some thoughts on media training and I said just just understand we, we really aren't that interested in, in in you we just we just want to know the basics and and throw people some bones and 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 don't act like we're out to get you we're, we're not uh, but they have this attitude now and it's a problem for the tour because uh, uh, that one of the, the things we love about uh, athletes and in particular golfers is that they generally have been fairly open about their uh, their game or their struggles or what they did to get better and 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 because the sport is played by people uh, and watched that is a connection they have and as they get as they climb up and go into this uh, this mentality it's going to make them less accessible less likable and uh, and also they have social media they believe to to put out their news as they see fit but ultimately that that only can go so far yeah well i mean i think i think the one player that in recent times i would have said was an exception but he's he's had a little bit of a checkered recent history was phil because phil obviously yeah. i think it was really honest what he did at the Ryder cup and i was at that Ryder cup when i mean he obviously he went into that press conference uh, after the 2014 defeat and he had said to himself, I'm not going to talk about what I'm going to talk about. But then somebody said something and he just couldn't hold back. That, to me, was a good story. And that obviously became an amazing news story as well as a golf story. But Phil, ever since he had his moment of madness by uh, uh, the US Open by, you know, hitting that putt while the ball was still moving, 
We've seen a little PR exercise there with Phil. I mean, he <laughs> messed that one up badly. <laughs> and now, now he does, now, now a few weeks later, a month mm-hmm. later, he does this stupid video dancing yep. just as a little bit of a device to try and change the narrative of who Phil Mickelson is and such a nice guy and all the rest of it. We've had a little example there of how you can puncture even a good media personality. And that wasn't the reporters who did that. That was Phil that did that. Yep. So it's really, really nauseating to, to have you're right I've seen it myself uh, I, I was actually at the uh, I was at the uh, the event in Abu Dhabi actually in January which Tommy Fleetwood won fantastic victory you know from a from a guy who's got a great story to tell Tommy Fleetwood and after that event I mean I had media access and I I, I just kind of went into the media area afterwards just to see if you know I could ask him a few questions Uh, and I wasn't actually covering the tournament I was merely only there as an interested party and I was basically told get out of here you know how dare you think about asking a question and it was it was it was a media facility you know and it's 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 just sanitized so badly it's not doing them any favors because Uh, the control, it's its away from the, the fans now. You know, I mean, uh, the one tournament it probably... Well, the, the great thing about the tournament in Abu Dhabi, actually, is you get so close to the players. So it's really nice as a, as a golf spectating uh, event. Um, but, for example, like most tournaments now, I mean, to go to the Open now, you know, it costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, I, I, I was last there. I think Trun was my last Open. Um, and it was a fantastic Open. But it was like... £70 a day or whatever it was to be frozen on the west coast of Scotland, you know, from uh, the morning till later at night. If you're a father taking your kids to that or it, say if you're someone of moderate means uh, thinking about going to the golf for a day, it's a damn expensive day out, you know, and the tour seems to be just becoming ever more focused or the European tour in particular. I don't know what golf the tour is like in terms of like US events because I haven't attended any. But the tour just seems to be more about golf, something for rich people um, and therefore reporters. You don't really have much money. You don't have much influence. So why should I talk to you? You know, it kind of feels like it's going yeah. that way to me. Mm. Uh, explain. That's about right. You've, you've hit on something really interesting, Arthur, which is with, with the internet and then later on social media, we've seen, for, let's take the PGA Tour, for example, are now able to control their own media behemoth, which is the PGA Tour website and their Twitter account and their Facebook account and their Instagram account. And all that. So they've become their own media, which is a business they didn't used to be in. And you can understand why if you were running the PGA Tour, you would think it is in your best interests to have only vanilla, nice stories in the world about golf and golfers and what wonderful people they are and the charity dollars they raise. How do we explain to these people that it's really important, in fact, almost more important, is that there is a critical press to follow the game, that it's in their best interests that there are people from outside the free press, quote-unquote, to criticise? Because you're right, more and more we get frozen out and all of the, the publicity is taken taken care of by the organisations themselves. And it's understandable why they dish up the good stuff, but why is it important they have the, the other stuff as well? Yeah, well, it, it comes down to... Sorry, if, if yeah. I think it comes down to one thing, credibility. And um, you're absolutely right. The, the internet and Twitter in particular have made it much easier for people to control their message. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, a player does have a absolutely legitimate right 
And the tour has absolutely legitimate rights to sell their marketing message the way they want to do it because they have control. However, I think what we're, we're reaching is the point where they think because they have the right to put out their control that that's the only message you should be telling as a journalist. Mm-hmm. It's, actually part of the, it's actually part of the equation. It's not the equation. And you're right, because ultimately it comes down to money. You know, you can subscribe now to PGATour.com and you can watch the marquee groups, you know, through your TV uh, and not have to bother with a cable supplier or the Golf Channel or whoever you use. So it's down to rights. It's down to how much money can be made. In the longer term, what you just talked about in terms of like convincing them that they should really be a bit more open, I think any, I mean, they, they obsess these days uh, managements of players about brand and creating the brand. Well the, well, the one word that tends to aid anyone is authenticity. You know, if you're just the vanilla uh, version, you're just the same as the rest of the players on tour, really. You know, you don't really stand out. That's why Phil does have a certain personality. Look at how Tiger, his, his um, you will know him a lot better than me, but Tiger Woods, as far as, I was, as far as I'm concerned, uh, was undoubtedly the best golfer who's ever played the game. He had a remarkable fall from grace, and he's had years of trouble, but in the last year, and, and I read the, uh, the the recent book about him, which was fairly uh, fairly negative. Um, Jeff Benedict's book, I think mm, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, but it's a f- fantastically researched book, and you know they couldn't take issue with it because it was true. Mm. You know, so that's that was that was that was good journalism in that spec. Whether you agree with everything in it or not, that's that's obviously up to the reader. But Tiger, I think this summer has done. I think he does deserve a bit of credit because he has been just that little bit more honest when he's asked a question and he has been a little bit nicer with people or it certainly seems that way and he's played some good golf into the bargain and he's obviously a contender again. So I think Tiger Woods might be a little bit of a um, cautionary tale and why the golfing press shouldn't shut out reporters because it's in their interest to have informed stories rather than just sanitized ones. Because I, I remember there's a good example a couple of years ago, I was listening to a, another golf podcast. What? And, um, you what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, shocking, man. shocking. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't John Feinstein, but it was another US sports writer was talking about how he'd been at a tournament and Duffner was, uh, was one of the players who was playing really well at the time. And this absolutely, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but this absolutely, totally respected US golf writer went up to Duffner at the range and just said, Jason, I was just hoping if, uh, you know, I was just wanting to ask you a couple of questions about such and such and such and such. <laughs> and Duffner said, oh, I don't speak at the tournaments. Call it IMG. Yeah. You know, and I just th- yeah. and I just thought that is bang out of order because first of all, it's rude. Secondly, it's just the kind of contemptuous remark you'd expect on the PGA Tour these days. Unnecessary. He's the worst. Yeah, he's the worst yeah. of probably. But he's had an attitude since some 
for some reason he blamed the press for for rumors about his his wife uh, having a fling with Tiger and and that and, and of course nobody wrote about it. That's always the irony. Tiger had a he had a hostility towards us uh, for a while for the same reason. And of course the golf press was was the last group to be writing about um, his his situation. Meanwhile, he went back on talk shows where they just mocked him nightly. Uh, but he to, but to your point, he has. Something has clicked with him that oh yeah actually if I if I am a little bit more open people really do appreciate it and I'm not bragging I'm, and people appreciate it when I reflect a little bit now on my career and and I'm and honest about things I went through and do you reckon that's um, calculated it, Jeff or is it just it, life's happened to him I, he's really, under I, his forties and that's how it happens to all of us no, I, I haven't sensed it's calculated I've really? just sensed he's always <sighs> on guard and now it's just kind of he's something has clicked with him that it's just what why why do i need to hmm. uh, why do i need to cling to this information that, that that's uh, i just i'm guessing and clates would probably agree it's probably just age that he just realizes uh like i asked him a question at uh at bay hill about he he was really doing a lot in his, his sort of his pre-shot uh routine where he was just kind of mimicking this this motion and 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 I asked about why uh, what he was trying to get at with that. And in the past, it would have been some short answer. And and not, and he went into this whole <laughs> deep thing about his his father and artistry and <laughs> like sort of silent. Like he went he went really deep. Uh, and it was fantastic. And it was revealing. Uh, and and it was great. Uh, and but it it didn't feel like he said, okay, I, this I've been waiting to, to, to do this for my image. It's just one of those things. And and Jack Nicholas is who's as conservative as you can get, as much of a, a believer that the uh, uh, probably that the press is out to get our president and then all that. There's nobody more giving and, mm-hmm. and incredible with the press. And, and and he's been very consistent his whole career that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, than Jack Nicholas, and uh, so Tiger might have, you know, he may, he may have seen a little bit of that too. Yeah. Uh, not hurting him. Yeah, Clates, we are the ultimate grumpy old man show here at State of the Game. But just in case we do have a young listener somewhere, tell them what it used to be like dealing with the press as a player. How did that relationship used to work? You spent 20 years on the European Tour, and I imagine you would have been a go-to guy for some to get quotes about various issues. No, How did not, that work? No, not really, but when everyone knew them, we all travelled on the same planes together, and we we trusted them, and clearly there were journalists who, well, for, for the longest time, journalists, the golf journalists, still do protected the players. They they knew all the stuff that went on out of the golf course, outside of the gates of the golf course at night, but no one ever wrote it. You know, so, so we all know the famous players who've been protected by the press over the years. Mm-hmm. Was that so? Was that healthier yeah, I, and better than this modern relationship we have? Do you think, or just different? Well, I think, I mean, the Americans have, a, as Arthur was saying now, the whole country has a general distrust of the media, sparked by what the president's saying about them. And, you know, there's this, they're out to get us sort of attitude where I'm not sure what it's like on the European tour now, but I know in Australia that, well, there aren't any golf journalists in Australia, to be fair. So, so Thanks, to, to have a relationship. With, well, <laughs> well, well, you're right. You know, it's, it's bit players like you and I who yeah. do the golf journalism and Huggy comes down and, but but the papers don't employ golf riders anymore down here. I mean, there aren't any golf riders. True true golf riders. Well, there are. There'll be some, but I can't think of it. We're, we're all out of work, mate. Put it yeah. that way. We're yeah. all out of work. <laughs> no one's the training them. No, exactly. Yeah, no. So, so, yeah. If we're, if we're, yeah. 
just one oh, thing there, yeah, with with the with the tiger thing, um, I think a lot of it, and what came across in that book by Jeff Benedict, is a lot of that stuff was just completely hammered into Tiger yeah. by his parents, mm-hmm. you know, and and the book is disturbing in mm-hmm. what it reveals about the relationship he had with his parents because it, frankly, in many ways, was an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kid just completely drilled about golf his entire life. Uh, even drilled into you know who he was going to marry, and ultimately it, it didn't work out. And he obviously then had an incredibly incredible uh, you know uh, uh, experience where you know they denied what had happened to begin with, and then obviously it came out you know he'd been cheating and all the rest of it. But maybe it's just with him a case of you're right, time has caught up with him, and he's realised yeah I'm, I don't need to tell you my life story. But if you ask me a question, maybe maybe I'll answer it moderately, honestly, as opposed to just deferring it to Steinberg or, or whoever else. You know, he does seem to be a little bit more amenable. And totally, Jeff, reg- uh, regarding like, or sorry, if it was Mike that said it, I can't remember. Um, Jack Nicholas, yeah, he he's always been fairly open about his political beliefs, but he's also been fairly open about most things in the sport and in the game. And I think it'd be great if we had a few more players of the the current era like that, uh, rather than the uh, Ricky Fowlers who will do anything to not answer a question. Uh, Dustin Johnson, every question is just asked, answered with the the same kind of like you know uh, incredibly uh, vacuous uh, response because it, 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 he's just maybe not the most illuminating man. Yeah. Uh, the one the one exception we, that people bring out is Rory, you know, but Rory probably, I think, if anything, is probably going to be one of the players who's going to dial it back a notch in the next year or two. Because Rory's... It's cost him in the past. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, Rory's kind of like probably... uh, I think Rory's probably a little bit too distracted these days Mm. and maybe he should just be focusing a bit more on his game because... uh, yeah, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to be working with Rory. You know, I mean, I don't understand how almost every tournament he starts right now, he's still like in the, among the favourites, and he hasn't actually won in Europe since 2016, I think. Well, we've right. No, that was startling that he that he took a little jab in in his comments uh, this week about about focusing on the PGA Tour with the better better fields, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's not like he's been going to Europe and getting bored because he's winning by five every week. I. I thought that. I just thought that was is that very ad, strange. Is that an added that. concern for the European Tour, Jeff? That was a, a, a some pretty. Um, well, how could you put it? That was some pretty unfriendly remarks from probably yeah. their biggest yeah. star. Is that there's clearly something going on in the background there? You would think there's no value I in guess, what he's saying. Yeah, um, yeah. Because why not just say, you know what? I, I married a, a an American woman. Yeah, I, love I love playing the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. I like. I you know I like better weather. Uh, I love Europe. It's been great to me, but but. Let's be honest. I live in Florida most of the year, and I probably want to stay a little closer to home. And why not say something yeah. as simple as that? And everybody just kind of yawns and, and moves along and goes, "Well, you know, uh, that that that's that's how it goes these days." But to to take that little that little jab, as you know, right after a, a resounding victory in the Ryder Cup mm-hmm. and um, some sensational golfers and uh, who are doing great things over there and. And uh, the commissioner trying, or the chief executive trying to hold it together, and 
it, it just seemed very um, it, strange. It feels like turmoil yeah, took- about to in <laughs> the European tour feels like there's turmoil just in the offing to me, Arthur, with a bunch of these little clues and indicators. Two really, two really telling things uh, Jeff just said there. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all. Rory's just the, the European Tour has just had a tremendous boost by winning the Ryder Cup, you know. Um, and again, a bit odd for Rory to say that because he again lost his singles and he didn't play great in the Ryder Cup, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so, so not 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 an incredibly sensible thing to then speak out and frankly disparage your fellow European Tour pros mm. uh, yeah. who, who who's just had a tremendous victory, including guys like. Uh, Thorborn Olsson, you know, on the last day, sure. he'd only played one match, and he comes out and he wipes the floor with Jordan Spieth. Yeah, you know, you know, and yet, and yet, Rory again lost his singles, having it appeared just kind of faded on the back nine. You know, I, I just don't know, do not know what it is. Um, you know, Rory, Rory is the one player I think in the European Tour who he's got all the talent, but right now. I would just like uh, to understand a little bit more about him, and and you know, uh, I just don't know where it's going right now for for Rory. Clates. And um, he's probably it's probably just it's probably just the one player who, who's mm. getting me more upset every time he makes comments like this. Clates, from the outside, and it's an amateur take, but maybe as a player, you could speak to this. It looks like Rory, as Tiger did for some periods there, looks like he's just lost the joy of the game. That's what it looks like, doesn't he? he just doesn't look like well, he's, he's admitted yeah, that. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. he's said that. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder if the the pressure. I mean, you saw it with Seve. You know, that, he played with so much joy, but he was the main guy for, and he carried the tour, and he was the main guy at every week he played. Certainly in Europe and Australia and Japan, not so much in America, but he was certainly one of the stars in America. And then, yeah, just it, he, he was worn out. You know, his game went. He, his game went because arguably because of just the pre- how much pressure was on it, how much pressure was on his putting stroke every week and his driver and. His swing, and you know, you get to your mid thirties, and it's and you're worn out. And Rory's been a prodigy and a star you know, since he was well, since he was thirteen or fourteen. But he, when did he come out and play well in that Daniel Gay's card? He was probably eighteen or nineteen. Just, but, just so he's been out of for, think, yeah. you know, he's been out for ten years, and he's the main guy every week in Europe, and he's a big star, and it's, you know, he, he hasn't won a major for what, four years, so, so it's. Um, Maybe he's on that Seve part. I'm, I'm worn out. I'm done. I've, I've got all the money I want. And do I really care about this much anymore? And am I prepared to put the, you know, the hard work and the pain into to get it? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know him at all. The, but the constant uh, scrutiny there is, must be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, play. Uh, sorry, Clates. Yeah, I, I watch Roy play. Why doesn't he win every week? I mean, yeah. incredible play. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Arthur, the scrutiny. Sorry, Arthur. The, the job we're in, you know, that's what we do. We scrutinise. Um, we don't often look at it, I suppose, from the other side. It must be hell to have every shot, every tournament, every bad day analysed to the nth degree. It's the reality for the top players, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, like Rory obviously has had a has had, I think, frankly, too much scrutiny about his putting. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to. I think he on camera he seems to miss a lot more than some players, but he tends to miss a lot from 12 feet. And that's probably because he's, well, apart from his wedge play, he seems to hit the ball in pretty close. Mm -hmm. uh, And therefore, he's missing quite a lot of those putts. 
But at the same time, it obviously has affected him. Because when he had that scream at the fan during the Ryder Cup, that was not normal no. for Rory to do something like that. And it clearly has got to him a little bit. And so from that perspective, I, I, I feel, you know, I definitely feel for him because it, it can't be very nice to be scrutinised to that degree. No. But at the same at, at the same time, um, you know, I think it was extremely ill-advised. And I don't know if it, whether it was because he was fr- frustrated or whatever to make that kind of comment about the European no. tour. You know, the European t- tour, I think, has got flaws. But I think that one, straight after the Ryder Cup, I think those are really, really ill-judged comments. And for the game more generally, it's important that the European tour remains strong. If the entire professional golf world gets taken over by the PGA Tour, everything we've talked about today goes up a notch. <laughs> if, they, if they own the world, I don't yeah. think that's ideal for the world of golf. Jeff, I think we've established um, that... Um, Clayton's got to go in a minute, so we'll wrap this up. I think we've yeah, established... Well, and I, yeah, and I do think we should... We should uh, end this on a positive, positive note. note that yes. Arthur is a is a lifelong golf fan, and he's here talking to us today about golf in part because of Mike Clayton. I that that <laughs> we I, I think that story needs to be shared. <laughs> Tell us the story of how you came to know Mike Clayton. It was it's a ripper because uh, just to set the scene, I uh, Clayton said we should get you on the show to talk about Saudi Arabia. I said, "How do you know Arthur?" And he said, "I think I met him in an airport." That's what he told me. Tell us the real story, <laughs> Arthur, of how you came to know Clayton. It has a happy ending. Right. Okay. Well, um, I attended the 1992 Open at, at Muirfield. It was my second Open. I went to the Open at, at uh, Trun in 89 at Calcavecchia won. But anyway, by 1992, I was an avid con- uh, collector of uh, golf signatures. And um, so I saw I saw one of the places in those days where we could actually get signatures was at the putting green. So I saw Mike and a few other players. What's all that noise? It sounds incredibly loud. I think... Um, Clayton's getting ready to go to, go to the Australian right. Open. Yes, he's, he's waiting for his, his volunteer car. He's, he's heard the story, so he's not interested, Arthur. <laughs> yeah, okay, very good. So um, I, went up, I, was at the, I was at the putting green, and um, I went up to Mike, and I asked for an autograph. And he said something along the lines of, uh, have this instead. And he gave me a whole box of golf balls. And... From that moment on, I've always remembered Mike Clayton. <laughs> so uh, after the tournament, after the tournament, I phoned up. So I didn't phone up. I wrote a letter to the RNA at St Andrews uh, to get Mike's address, which they very happily gave me. It's probably one of my first uh, instances of uh, trying to get information. Um, I bet you they'd tell me to run a mile now if I asked for a player's address. Uh, oh yeah, they'd security his, they, now. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. They'd be saying, uh, "What's this letter bomber uh, trying to find uh, an address for?" Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, they gave me uh, the address from Mike's uh, entry form, and I wrote him a letter. And uh, I think a couple of years ago, when um, I'm friends with John Huggin on Twitter, and I think there was a conversation I joined, and uh, Mike followed me back. And then I sent him a DM to remind him of this anecdote, and the rest is history. That's right, he, which he promptly forgot and thought that he met you at an airport. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and the circle. best part is that Coates has advocated uh, for years that golf pros could do more good for their image than, than anything else by just giving away golf giving balls. Away so golf we balls. know that he actually practiced what he preached. He lives the, lives the dream. Yeah, yeah, there you go. 
Arthur, it's been totally. fantastic to have you great. along. If, if the Middle East analysis ever fails you, you are more than welcome here as a golf analyst. I've been more than impressed by your knowledge of passion for and interest in the game today. So it's been fantastic to have you along. But we've really enjoyed your Middle East analysis as well. Thanks for taking some time. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, indeed. Thank you, Arthur. Clay, Clay, we better let you go. It sounds like you're in the queue there for the vol- or the courtesy car heading off to the Australian mm-hmm. I'll see you out at the course later today. Thank you for the time today. And for those playing the drinking game, not one mention. <laughs> That's I right. was close. I was close. I was about to give Rory a little bit of a benefit of the doubt that the, the te- technologies brought the fields closer together, but I decided we didn't want to get anybody drunk. Do you know, this is well a great... Yeah, we next, can do I, it. So next year I, we're going to have dry July. No, next July, we're not going to talk about the no, so It'll be a dry July. <laughs> Sorry, Arthur, you had something to say. I was, I was just going to say, despite all those comments, you know, I'm a massive fan of Rory McIlroy. Oh, of course. Just, uh, I just want to oh, see yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, I just want up? to see him. I just, I just want to see him happier and focused yeah. on his game and playing well and entertaining us. That's his job. That's what the two hundred millions for, Rory. Go out and entertain us. Forget <laughs> all the rest of it. Just entertain us. That's all we want to see. Uh, and Jeff Shackford, always great to chat to you, my friend. And thank you very all much right. for taking the time. Thank you, Rod. Episode eighty-four of State of the Game in the books. We'll look forward to doing it all again next time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.